0: God speaks into your life, and that's why you're here this morning to say, God, what are you saying to me? What do you desire that I know? Give me strength to continue running this race. So, Father, we thank you for this moment in time. We thank you for no distractions or disruptions. We thank you that ears are wide open to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to his church. We thank you that you redeem us. We thank you that you refresh us. We thank you that you renew our minds, God, that you transform us by the renewing of our minds. We thank you that today we are hungry and thirsty for change. And that can only come about through your living word. So Lord, I ask that you would anoint your servant to preach the truth, to teach the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit today. And I ask also that your anointing would be upon the listeners, the hearers, because God... I say that this church is ready for action. They're not hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. They are ready for action, and they understand that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord, but faith without works is dead. So everything they hear today must be applied. Everything that they hear today must be seen. They must be found doing these things. So Lord, we bless you, and we thank you for this word. And we, think, we thank you that the thief cannot steal any of it. And it is sown into the hearts of your sheep. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Church, can you say amen? amen? You may be seated at this time. God bless you. Thank you so much for attending New Life Christian Ministries this morning. Welcome to all of our friends, family, and guests. It's time for the word of God. I don't know if Brooke's here or not, but can we give Pastor Brooke a hand for her message last <laughs> Sunday? did such a beautiful job it was fought at every hand so it's important and vital that you go back and listen to that message from last sunday about the fear of the lord so the enemy was busy trying to distract the service and even the 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 power for the sound system wasn't working but still the message went out so you need to understand and say okay god why did all that happen last sunday What was happening last Sunday to make us take our eyes off and our ears off what the servant of the Lord had for the church? What is it about the fear of the Lord that we need to understand? So I pray that over your people, God. Whatever we need to understand that came out of the mouth of your servant last week, God, give it back to us. The thief tried to steal it, but we say give it back to us sevenfold in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing in a series called Jesus Beings. Can you say that with me? Jesus beings. The Bible says that it is in him that we live and we move and we have our being. So we are not just Christians. We're not just carnal people trying our best to live a divine life. No, we have been born again and Jesus Christ has given us the same spirit that lives within him. The Bible says that those of us that have been joined with Christ share a spirit with him. So that's what this series is about. We are growing in our wisdom and knowledge of being Jesus beings, people that receive their source of life, their source of everything as Jesus. He is the one that we live in and move in and have our being. Today's message is entitled, We Worship Christ in the Spirit. Our suffering must not be wasted. Instead, we will learn obedience and walk more fully in the love of God. So I'm here to tell you that today that suffering is necessary. And that might not be the good news that you you desire to hear today, but I'm telling you, there is a reward that comes from suffering. We all have to go through some things sometimes. And some of us have to recognize that sometimes the suffering is just a way of God to get you back into his will. We're, we're straying away from his will. And he's saying, listen, if I don't afflict you, if I don't correct you, if I don't discipline you, then you'll go too far away and you can lose your soul. So it is good that we suffer, but we cannot let our suffering be wasted. Church, can you say this with me? Where there's a must, Where there's, a must there's a way. Elder Melissa was talking about the must of God in our uh, prayer this morning, and I was like, wow, God, that's confirmation, because I'm going to be talking about the must as well. So when God says that you must do something, he always provides a way for that to occur. So in the must of God, there is a way. Where there's a must, there is a way. And John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, it says this, but the time is coming indeed it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God cannot be seen with our natural eyes because he's a spirit, yet he is very real. And he says that I'm looking for people who will worship me in spirit and in truth. So if it's a must, there's a way. So if God says that you must worship me in spirit and truth, then He must provide a way for us to do that. As carnal people, sinful people, cannot worship God in spirit and truth because God is a spirit. So in order for us to worship God, we need a transformation to which we can become spiritually alive. Because to be in sin means that we are spiritually dead. All eyes on me. I know I'm not the best looking person in the world, but if you can keep your focus here, if you, where your eyes eyes are your ears are too so I know there's walking going on and there's movement going on but that's sometimes the enemy's way to distract you right because when you're distracted you can't learn we got some teachers in the room right now right when kids are distracted they can't learn so listen there's no squirrels in here running loose right so don't let every little movement be a squirrel for you today let your eyes be focused so that your ears can be open church can you say amen God is a spirit. In order to worship him, we must worship him in spirit and truth. So if I'm in sin and I'm carnal, I can't worship God. I need to be transformed into in spirit. So how do we arrive in spirit? Well, John chapter 3, verses 6 through 7 says this. Humans can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit who... The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Church, can you say this with me? Ah, come on. We were wondering, okay, God, you said I must worship you in spirit and truth. But I'm carnal, I'm flesh, I'm sinful. How can I get to that spirit life? He says this. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So that's how we can begin to worship God when we have spiritual life. Well, how do we get that? Verse 7, so don't be surprised when I say, here's another must, you must be born again. Does it make sense now? God is a spirit, and those who seek him and worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And we want to know, well, how do we make that transition into spiritual life? It's through the Holy Spirit when we are born again, when we ask God to forgive us of our sins and transition us into his kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. All that being said... We must be sure to have no confidence in ourselves. None of you apart from God can reach heaven. You cannot live a life so good that God says, wow, you were really good down there. Come on in. Nope. It's only through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we can be born again and be saved. So he wants us to have no confidence in ourselves. Church, you're going to learn something today. Say this with me. I can have no confidence confidence. in myself. myself. Listen, if you want to see your world wrecked, if you want to see things fall apart, if you want to be broken and disgusted, then try to live this life in your own power. Try to live this life from your own mind. Because the Bible says there's a way that seems right, but it leads to death and destruction. So if you're going your own way, if you're living a life like this, God, I got this. I don't need your help. I can do this by myself. You need to understand that you're on a dangerous path called death and destruction. We all need God. I don't care what your GPA was. I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care if you're a doctor, a lawyer. I don't care if you're a scientists, you cannot be saved by your intellect. You are saved by faith alone. You put your trust in God. You could have no confidence in the flesh. None. That's why he chose me to be a pastor that did not go to Bible school, who's a college dropout, who's been arrested before. None of your business what I was arrested for. All right. All this stuff. So when he calls me to be a pastor, I can say, God, I don't know how to be a pastor, and he can say to me, which he did, I do. When he calls you, he wants you to have no confidence in your flesh. He wants all of your faith and trust and hope to be in him alone. So we got to get rid of this confidence in our flesh. We got to get rid of this self-righteousness, this this uh, self-inflation, all right? Philippians 3.3 says this, For we who worship by the Spirit of God, that's us now, okay, we're Jesus beings, we're born again, it's talking to us. This is our proclamation. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. To be circumcised is to have flesh cut away. And when you were born again, the Bible says that Jesus Christ circumcised us. And what he cut off was our sinful nature. Can someone say praise the Lord for that? When you're born again, he circumcises you by cutting off your sinful nature and leaving it dead and powerless. There's mean that you will never sin again? No, because sometimes we mess up. We fall down. We pick up that sinful nature and try to exercise it again. But through his circumcision, he cuts off our sinful nature. And it says this, We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. So if you've been born again, if you are a Jesus being, you have no more confidence in yourself. You need to be at the front of the line saying, I am no good without God right? You don't need to be pulled down by others. You need to be the first in line to say, nope, except for the love and grace and mercy of God, there go I. I need God in my life because I can't do this by myself. So we put no confidence. Those who are spiritual, those who are Jesus beings, put no confidence in human effort. Let's try this. Let's do, this. Let's do an experiment. How many of you have some have acquired some things in your life where it makes no sense because you, you didn't have the education, you didn't have the, 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 the background, you weren't raised with a silver spoon in your mouth, God has freed you from alcoholism, you've got alcoholics in your family, drug addicts in your family, but somehow, some way, God has stepped into your life and made a difference in you that you could not do in and of yourself, amen? every single one of us could have our hand up to to testify to God's goodness and power in spite of ourselves. So let's go on to Philippians 3.3. This is the amplified version. For we who are born again have been reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for his purpose and are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God. So why is a circumcision necessary? Why does God have to cut our sinful nature off? So that we may worship him in spirit and in truth. I don't need any information coming from my flesh. I don't need any carnal thoughts coming to me. Why? Because the Bible says that the spiritual mind is life and peace, but the carnal mind is death. You've got a God so good that he didn't leave you with your carnal mind and say, fend for yourselves now. He said, nope, I'm gonna cut this thing off of you and I'm gonna give you my mind. I'm gonna give you the mind of Christ. I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit so that you can live a life that pleases me. We worship him in the spirit of God and glory and take pride and exalt in Christ Jesus and place no confidence in what we have or who we are in the flesh. That's so important to remember. So listen, what we're trying to do is humble ourselves. That's the beginning of this message. I'm trying to tell you that you're not supposed to have any kind of confidence in your own self. And if we do, it can lead to suffering. Philippians chapter three. Verses 4 through 11, this is Paul talking about why he has no confidence in himself. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Let me pause for a moment. The Holy Spirit desires that I share this. The reason that you can't have any confidence in yourself because there's a time coming where you won't be able to, to purchase or, or buy goods without taking the mark of the beast. And if you have confidence only in yourself, then you will be able, you will be forced to supply your own way uh, the way that the world says do it. So that's why you can't have any confidence in yourself. You can't say, I can take care of myself. I can feed myself. I can clothe myself. I can provide housing for myself. Nope. Get rid of I. We have to get rid of I and say, I will put no confidence in myself. I think we need to say that. Can you say that with me? I will put no confidence in myself. Come on, that's the smartest decision you've ever made. That's the smartest thing we've ever said, right? I will put no confidence in myself. So where's all this confidence going then? We're putting our trust in God alone because he will meet our needs. Even when we can't buy food, even when our money is worthless and thrown into the streets, we have no confidence in self now. Not later. I want that confidence right now. So when the storm hits and this world begins to spin haywire, that we can say it's okay. I have no confidence in myself anyway. My trust and my hope is in God alone. So continue on with what Paul was saying. He began to talk about his birthright, talk about his ancestors and how he was zealous for the law. And verse 7, he said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now, here's that spiritual transformation, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Come on, he's glorifying Christ. When you have a real encounter with Jesus Christ in your life, you will see yourself small and God big. The reason some of us walk in fear is because we still see ourselves big and God small. You need to transform the, your way of thinking by getting into the word and getting into prayer and asking God to fill you with His Holy Spirit. Verse 8, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Why is that of infinite value? Because Jesus will, some will stand before Jesus and he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. So knowing Jesus is of infinite value, all right? Let's keep this going here. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so I could gain Christ and become one with him. Come on, this is what a Jesus being sounds like. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Him self depends on faith. What's it depend on church? faith. So not how good of a person you are, not how good of a life you've lived. The way that you're made right with God is by faith, all right? Verse 10, I want you to know, I want to know Christ, this is Paul saying this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Listen to what he says next, church. We don't like this. We don't like this part of, of our Christian walk. We don't like this part of, of, of having to experience some of these things. But listen to what his, his next four words I want to suffer. Man, when's the last time you prayed that prayer, right? He's saying, I want to suffer with him. Why, Paul? Or how? Sharing in his death. Why? so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So I want enough suffering in my life to I under, so that I understand that it's not by my own power, not by my own might, but it is by His Spirit in which that I have been saved. It, and it is by His Spirit in which we live and we move and we have our being. I want to suffer with Him sharing in his death. Because when we're baptized in his death, we also experience his resurrection. God is calling us church to be disciplined disciples. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 13. Some of us go through things in life and we don't understand why oh, I'm trying to serve you the best I can, God. Why am I having such a hard time? Why am I experiencing loss? Why does it seem that you've forgotten me? God, where is your goodness? Where is your mercy for me? What's happening? I don't understand. Hebrews 12 verse five says this, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? I'm so glad that we have a father that speaks to us. He said, my child, Don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So discipline is necessary for you to be a child of God. Why? Because we don't always get it right. It's going to be necessary at times for us to be disciplined by God. We're going to have to suffer at his hands sometime, but it is for the salvation of our soul and the development of our fruit in which God desires that we produce in our lives. Verse six, for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So listen, the discipline of God is because he loves you. Not because he's mad at you, not because he's angry with you, but because he loves you. Now, sometimes we discipline our children out of anger. And the worst time to spank your child is when you're angry. Because if you do that, it won't be Pastor Damien knocking on the door. It'll be Deputy Damien knocking on the door and saying, why did you beat that child like that? Right? So we don't beat in anger, right? If you're going to correct your child, discipline is a lesson right? You can't just spank a child and not teach them, right? So what was that for? Well, I was mad. You, you broke my Gatorade. I don't know. You, you, did, you spilled my Gatorade. You got a problem. If you're beating your kids for silly reasons, you've got a problem, right? And you probably learned it because some of you learned violence from your parents because violence is lazy discipline. Now, I know the word says that you can beat your child and they won't die, but you don't just beat a child without teaching them. Because all you're teaching them is violence, right? So somebody needs to hear this because you're quiet, right? You don't just beat them. Discipline means to teach. Don't just beat me, God. Teach me what I do wrong. Because God, if you don't tell me what I did wrong, I can suffer this, this same punishment again. So God disciplines those that he loves. How many are thankful for the discipline of God, right? It doesn't always feel good, but it leads to good, right? It leads to good. Verse 7, as you endure, so this means this, that God's discipline won't kill you. It tells us that right in verse 7. As you endure this divine discipline, if you endure it, it means you survived it, right? Remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits? The Bible just called God the father of your spirit. What does that mean? It means that the must has been satisfied. If you must worship him in spirit and truth, then you must be transformed into spiritual life. And when you're born again, you receive spiritual life. And the Bible just called you in this passage, the father of our spirits, right? And live forever. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, church, can you say afterward? Right? Many of you that were spanked, you know what the afterward feels like. (laughs) The afterward. It's over now. Woo! Right? Lesson learned, hopefully. So listen to God's afterword, right? But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living, right? Come on now. When God disciplines you, you'll start to live right again, right? So that is the reason that we need God's discipline. Because God, if I'm living wrong, I need your discipline effective immediately. I do not want to be lost, right? I want to make sure that I see your face in peace. So God, if I'm ever living wrong, bring your discipline into my life so that I can live right. Let's finish this out, this part. But afterward, there'll be a peaceable harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. What way? We belong to God. He's the father of our spirits. Because he loves us, he disciplines us. He disciplines us. Why? So that we can have a peaceful harvest of right living. Church, are you living right? You should be able to look around you and say, I've got a peaceful harvest of right living because I undergo the process of God's discipline. Verse 12. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Do you hear that, church? I know you've been going through some things in your life. Some of you seem to be so, uh, you know God, but you're kind of distant. I mean, you're cool, but you're not cool, cool, right? Uh, you, you just need to be in a greater fellowship with him. You feel like you're on the outskirts of, 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 of the kingdom. Heaven, heaven doesn't have a ghetto, but sometimes you feel like that's where you are when it comes to your relationship with God. So here's what he's saying. Okay, I'm correcting you. Here's what I want you to do now. Listen, are you listening? You say, yes, God, I'm listening. He says this, take a new grip, Right? Take a new grip. Hallelujah. Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. So the discipline of God leads to right living. And after he's corrected us, he's saying, now, look. Don't go that way again. I don't want to have to discipline you again. Put a straight path in front of your feet and walk that way. Take a new grip, right? Because the Bible says that those that take hold of the plow and let go and look back are not worthy of the kingdom of God. Church, can you say this with me? Take a new grip. Come on now. Some of us are living lukewarm lives for God. Some of us aren't ready to meet God. Uh, Just coming to church doesn't mean that you're living a righteous life. So he's saying, take a new grip, right? Take a new grip uh, with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Why? And and do what next? Mark out a straight path, right? Why is it straight? Straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to what? Life. It leads to life, Right? So we won't be weak and lame and fall, but become strong. First Samuel chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 tell us this. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Church, I have a question for you. Who will succeed by strength alone? No one succeeds by strength alone, Right? He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to his king. He increases the strength of his anointed one. So we've got to get ready, church. Christ beings must be ready to suffer. So don't think that you've done something wrong always when you go through suffering. There's a difference between discipline and suffering, right? Sometimes we're going to have to suffer through some things. And Hebrews 5, chapters, chapter 5, verses 7 through 9 tell us this. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though, listen to this, listen, listen. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he what? Suffered. And this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. I don't know if you knew that was in your Bible or not. Verse 8 says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. How did he learn obedience? Through the things he what? Suffered. suffered. Even the son of God learned obedience and suffering. So there's a school in life, a university that you don't get to graduate from called Suffering. And as you suffer, it teaches you obedience. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And actually, this is the amplified version of this. Listen to this. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh and died for us, arm yourselves like warriors with the same purpose, being willing to suffer, listen to the why, for doing what is right and pleasing God. So, discipline typically comes when we're doing wrong. Come on, you get, don't miss this part. Look at me. Don't miss this part. Discipline usually comes from when you're living wrong. But suffering can come because you're living right. Come on, don't miss that part. Don't miss that part. That the world, the whole world is anti-you because you are a Jesus being. If the world is anti-God, they should be anti-you as well, right? And we're going to suffer just like he suffered. They didn't want him. Jesus would go to towns and bring deliverance, and they would say, you know what? Get out of here. Makes no sense. He's the king. He's the deliverer, and you want him to leave? Yes. Why? Because we're the lights of the world, and those who live in darkness hate the light. Why do they hate the light? Because it reproves them of the way that they are living and it makes them feel bad and they don't want you around, okay? So you're gonna suffer for doing what is right, all right? Because whoever has suffered in the flesh, being like-minded with Christ, is done with intentional sin. Come on. So if you're, if you're in that suffering category, it means you're done with sin. Now, occasionally you're going to sin, but this, this says that you're done with intentional sin. How many are done with intentional sin? Every hand should go up. If you're a believer, if you're born again, you should be done with intentional sin. I don't sin on purpose anymore. That should be everybody's testimony that is born again and a child of God. I never sin on purpose anymore. I sin when I'm living outside of purpose. I sin when my mind's not on God anymore. I sin when I allow that carnal nature that God cut away from me. I try to sew it back together on me and I go after the things of this world, all right? A child of God, those that are born of God do not sin. But when we do sin, we still have an advocate named Jesus Christ and we can go to his throne in time of trouble and receive grace uh, for that. Let's keep going. Having stopped pleasing the world, verse 2, so that he can no longer spend the rest of his natural life living for human appetites and desires, but lives for the will and purpose of God. So the beautiful thing about salvation is if you have any addictions to sin right now, that if you're born again, they're broken. Right? Now you still got to work them out because your mind and your body and your soul have to catch up to the spirit, right? But you are free from sin. Your body just doesn't know it yet. I hope you hear this today. If any of you are addicted to tobacco or any kind of drugs or alcohol, Jesus Christ sets you free immediately, right? But your body just doesn't know it yet, right? You've got to walk that thing out and say, you know what? I don't need a drink. I don't need drugs. I don't need to smoke. I don't need to go to those websites, and my body just doesn't know it yet, but it will come under subjection to the will of God. I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Church, can you say amen? Amen. This amen isn't for me. It's, It's for the truth that's being presented to you in the Word of God today. Let's keep going here. Verse three, for the time already passed is more than enough for doing what the unsaved Gentiles like to do, living unrestrained as you have done. in a course of shameless sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties and wanton idolatries In connection with all this, they, the unbelievers are resentful and surprised that you do not think like them. Wow, that's why you're gonna suffer because you don't think like they do right? You don't value their values and run hand in hand with them. Oh, you think you're too good for us now, don't you? You're going to suffer, right? Let's keep going. And, and them with them in the same excesses of dissipation and immoral freedom. And they criticize and abuse and ridicule you and make fun of your values, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge and pass sentence on the living and the dead." That brings us to this, Holy Spirit, I pray that as we, as we round the corner and get to the meat of this message right now, that you will do something that you have been assigned to do in our presence today. Teach us how to not waste our suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 5, 8 again tells us that even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. So what did Jesus suffer while he was here? He was rejected, wasn't he? So so you are going to be rejected. As soon as you tell your friends you're Christians and you're done partying and drinking and all that stuff, they're going to reject you just like they rejected Jesus. Jesus, how did he suffer? How did he learn obedience? Through spiritual warfare. If you're a Christian, you're going to go through some spiritual warfare. Uh, And Jesus went through spiritual warfare, and he learned obedience through suffering that spiritual warfare. Every time the enemy came at him to tempt him, he said, it is written. Over and over and over again, three times, he said, it is written. So he learned obedience. See, he was obeying God. Turn the stones in the bread no man shall not live by bread alone I'm learning obedience by suffering through this temptation I'm 40 days hungry into a fast and bread sounds good and if you come to the fair and see me at the dare building there's some breadsticks right next to the dare building at the fair right and they are delicious all right anyway 40 days hungry some of you are you aren't even four hours and you're hungry right he was 40 days hungry, and the enemy said, turn these stones to bread. He was suffering with hunger, but he refused to turn them to bread. Why? Say this with me. Because, because he was learning, he was learning. obedience. Come on, don't waste your suffering, church. When you're going through something, don't waste it. Say, you know what? I'm learning obedience. This isn't easy, but I'm learning obedience. And obedience leads me into life. We know that Jesus also suffered from doubt and unbelief. Those around him that he was chosen to lead, they doubted him. They didn't believe. He suffered through that, but yet he obeyed. Philippians 2 and 8 tells us this, why he had to learn obedience, because there was one final episode. There was one final suffering that Jesus would have to endure and have to be obedient in. And Philippians 2 and 8 tells us this, He humbled himself in obedience to God and did what? And died a criminal's death on a cross. Man, how painful, right, to have the sins of the entire world on you and know you're innocent, to know that you're not guilty, to know that they're, 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 they're taunting you and mocking you and saying, if you're the son of God, then call on the angels or, or free yourself if you're really the son of God. And knowing that you have the power to do it and not doing it, why? Why? Because I'd rather die in obedience to release than release myself from this suffering. Come on, I would rather die in obedience than release myself from suffering. Church, don't waste your suffering. If you feel like you're suffering for good, let it go to good. Let it be accounted into your, let it be deposited into your account as righteousness. Listen to what David said. Come on, church. Come on. Psalms 119.71 said this. This was what King David said. Come on. He said this. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. What? David said, it was good for me that I suffered. Why was it good for you, David? Why, why was it good for you that God afflicted you, that you suffered? And here's what he said, that I might learn your statutes. That I might know your commandments, that I might grow in obedience. It was good that I was afflicted. Church, the affliction of God is better than the applause of the world. The affliction of God is better than the pleasure of sin. It is better to be afflicted by God so that you might learn how to obey his commands and statutes so that you can be obedient to him and you can inherit eternal life. Yes, they're going to make fun of you. Yes, you're going to be different. Yes, you're going to be quiet at the work table. You're going to be quiet in the break room. They're going to be telling nasty jokes. They're going to be saying all kinds of filth, and they're going to look at you like you're the weird one. But I say, be the weird one. Be the one who stands out. Be the one who suffers for goodness. Be the one who is talked about. Be the friend. Be the Because we've all been there, at least I was. I was raised in this church, but I had drinking buddies and smoking buddies, and I'm like, man, Man, I know better. Like they don't know, right? But I I got the truth inside of me and yet I'm here getting drunk and living just like them. But I know the difference, right? But back then I was too weak. But now I I can tell those same drinking buddies and that's a lot of them were at a wedding last week that I performed. Those same drinking buddies, I can stand before them and say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, I wasn't ready to suffer back then when I was young, and it was the cool thing to do to hang out and drink and party, but now that I got a little age on me, and now that I know how good God is, I'm ready to stand on a mountaintop and say, this God that I serve is good, and I would rather stand out so that I could be lifted up on the last day. Come on, that's why you want to stand out, right? Because there's going to be a day when the dead in Christ are going to rise from the Grave and be called to meet the Savior in the air. So, in order to rise, then you've got to stand out. Now you've got to be willing to be persecuted. You got to be willing to be talked about. You got to be willing to be stu- to, to suffer for good. Because David said, "It was glad. I was glad. It was good for me that I was afflicted." He goes on to say in Psalms one nineteen seventy five, and we're almost done. He goes on to say in Psalm one nineteen seventy five. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Come on. That's when you know it's good. He's saying, Listen, I know that affliction is good because it teaches me your commandments, but I also know this about you, God you are faithful. You are faithful. You are faithful, God. You love me so... I'm trying to tell you this, that when God allows you to suffer for good, when God punishes you, when he disciplines you, it's because he loves you. It's love, right? If I was driving my cruiser on I-75... And I seen a little toddler run across the road and I I see a father chasing behind it. And I see that father pick up that toddler and spank its bottom right there on the highway. That man is not getting arrested. I'm going to pull over. Excellent job, sir. Excellent job. Why? Because the child's perspective is I'm just having fun. I'm just having fun. Why are you messing with me? I'm just having fun. But the father knows that you're walking in a place that can kill you. So it's the same thing with your spiritual father, God. And you might be living a life where you feel like, uh, God, I I, I know I'm not doing right. Because he knows we're not doing right. And he grabs a hold of your life and right on that bottom, right? It's like, God, what was that for? Come on. Come on. David said, He's faithful, right? So what that tells me is David knew why he was being afflicted. And you know why you're suffering and being afflicted as well, because you're not doing right. We're not doing everything that we know to do what is right. And the Bible calls that sin. For him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. So, so religious people think we're all good because we don't do the wrong thing. But holiness says, you're not wrong just because you don't do the wrong things. You're wrong because you refuse to do the right things. You know there's things that are right that you should be doing, but yet you refuse to do them. And that religious mindset says this, at least I'm not doing that. At least I'm not doing that. At least I'm not doing that. And God says, no, no, I'm trying to save your soul. So stop looking at them and look at me, because when you behold his righteousness, when you behold his holiness, when you behold his purity, you will become undone and say, God, what am I? I am just a sinner in your sight. I need your grace. I need your mercy. So don't look at sinners for your righteousness. Look at the king for your righteousness. Amen. Amen. You all should be that loud because it's true. Let's keep going here. We're almost done. I've said that three times. I'm going to get a bad reputation. All right. So the fruit of the Spirit is released in our suffering. So Galatians 5, through 25. So as you suffer, listen to what comes out of you. As Jesus suffered in this earth, listen to what came out of him. But the fruit of the Spirit, come on, is love, joy, peace. Oh, my goodness. Did you know? that this was a fruit of the spirit, long-suffering? We like to call it patience, but let's take it old school, right? And the King James Version calls it long-suffering, right? We need that to be a fruit of the spirit. Why? Because If you're in this world, and if you stand out from them, you're going to suffer, not just for a little while, but for a long time. So I need the fruit of my spirit, of his spirit, to be long-suffering, all right? Kindness. Listen to this. So just because you're suffering doesn't mean you have an attitude with everybody else on earth. Right? You have kindness coming out of you still while you suffer. You have goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I hope you're not missing this, church. Listen to me. Some of you are suffering if you've got an attitude problem, right? You've got spiritual leprosy, okay? And you don't want to be bothered with anyone. You don't want anyone around you, right? But God is saying, just because you're suffering, wash your face. I don't care, wash your face. Just because you're suffering, rise up and still be kind and still be loving and still be a servant and still be the the appointed of God in which I have made you. You still need to be fruitful even while you suffer. So you don't get to take a break just because you're going through something. You get yourself in gear and say, okay, God, I'm here to serve you still. I'm still going to allow you to get the glory from my life even though I'm suffering. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, may every spiritual and religious pity party come to an end right now in Jesus' name, and may the fruit of long suffering be displayed so that this thing that we're going through can lead to obedience. Man, in Jesus' name, amen. So what some of you are suffering with is witchcraft. It's absolutely witchcraft. And the reason that it's witchcraft is because the Bible says that rebellion is as witchcraft. So when you rebel against God, when you rebel against the truth, when you rebel against righteous instruction, you are in witchcraft. You don't have to have tarot cards in your pocket. You don't have to get your palm read to be in witchcraft. All you have to do to be in witchcraft is be rebellious. It's the truth anyhow, all right? I am. All right, let's close this thing out, all right? Kimberly, if you play, I can probably go faster. <laughs> Here we go. All right. all right, so sometimes, church, as we're suffering, we have a willing spirit, but our, our body is weak, Our flesh is weak. Our ability within self is weak. And Jesus was with the disciples before he was about to be arrested, and he told them this. Keep watch and pray. This is Mark 14, 38 through 52. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, right? Uh, For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. Church, say this with me. And they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, but no, no, no. The time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, look. My betrayer is here. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. All right, church, remember, get ready to suffer. It's how you learn obedience. The disciples are really in a pickle right now. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Not a kiss, the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave slashing off his ear. Jesus asked them, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Listen to verse 50. It's time to suffer. Listen, listen. Then all... How many? Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. So the disciples ran away naked and afraid. Their Lord and Savior had been stripped away from them they were told to pray for this hour of temptation but they were too tired to pray and they didn't even know what to say or what to pray as well but there is an account in Matthew chapter 8 6 rather where the disciples asked Jesus a question Lord will you teach us how to pray just as John's disciples taught him how to pray. And church, I see the Lord's prayer, man, I see the Lord's prayer as being the prayer they all run away to pray by themselves right now, right? Right in that moment, they didn't know what to pray. But when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will show you what to pray. So I was cutting grass the other day and I was having some conflict in my life and I was going through some attacks and some suffering and some discipline And the Holy Spirit told me to pray the Lord's Prayer. And I prayed it from a place of warfare. I prayed it from a place of desperation. And I saw the disciples praying this prayer at that hour when they had all scattered and left Jesus Christ. And it took on a new meaning. When you see the Lord's Prayer as a shout for help, as a cry to say, they've taken my Savior away and I ran from him, I abandoned him, I can't see him anymore it hits different as the young folks say it hits different when you see the Lord's prayer and the light of a prayer of warfare so listen to this after this manner therefore pray so it starts off with our so what's that mean It means he taught them to pray this way. The first word was our. So what does this mean? That we are in this together, right? The Lord and his body of believers. So when you pray the Lord's prayer and you start with our, that puts you together with God and the Holy Spirit and his son and the whole body of Christ. The next word is "Father." So what's this mean? It means that we are born of and led by his spirit. So we now have God as a father, which art in heaven. What's this? It means that this God of ours is in heaven and he rules the earth. So although the Lord had been taken away from them and sometimes you'll be in situations where you say, God, where are you? You say, our father who art in heaven. Like I can't see you now, but I know that you can see me. I know that you are the creator of all and that you are my father and I have been born again and I am your son and I can call out on your name and you will hear me. The next part is, hallowed be thy name. So when you find yourself in a situation where you're like, God, I don't know how I got here and I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say, just begin to worship. Right. This is worship at this point. Hallowed be thy name. Oh Lord, your name is holy. Your name is righteous. Your name is above every name. And we worship you in this moment. We glorify your name. Thy kingdom come. So they're calling down the kingdom. Jesus has been taken away and he was the kingdom representation on earth. But now they're looking to the Father. Why? Because Jesus taught them to pray even for this very hour and they're calling down the kingdom. And you can do it too. Say this with me. I call down righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's how you call the kingdom down, right? In this moment, I'm calling the kingdom down. You're my God, my Father in heaven, and I'm calling the kingdom down. The next thing is this, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So what is that saying? That just as your will, God, is supreme and unopposed in heaven, let your will be done in this situation on earth right now. Give us this day our daily bread, which means if you don't feed us, we will faint physically and spiritually. So speak to us as well, because we cannot live on natural food alone. So give us a word, God. Jesus, he's been taken away, but you are heavenly father. Now give us a word. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. So don't allow our sins or the sins committed against us to give Satan an opening to overtake us. This, this is really good. This is where I don't think I let go of the lawnmower at this point, but this is when it really got good to me right here on this part. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When prayed from a warfare position, what you're saying is this, God, I'm not strong enough to be tempted right now. Just deliver me, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil right? So Father, I am weak right now. This is not the time. I don't feel strong enough. My flesh is willing. I'm sorry, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak, and I just need you to deliver me. I cannot endure this temptation. Just deliver me, right? So thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Let's stand to our feet. That is saying this, who but you is mighty to save? Who but you rules kingdoms? Who but you has the power to deliver us? Who but you is worthy of all the glory forever? And amen. As you stand to your feet today, I want you to know this, that you are Christ beings. And in Christ, we win. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-10 says this, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, meaning that we're suffering, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. My final word to you today is this, Galatians 6, 9. Receive this church and let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Father, I've given them your word today. We know that you're soon to come and even, Father God, if uh, you don't come, some of us are soon to go. We might leave before you come. So, Father... Be with us as we suffer. We ask for your discipline, God, because your discipline leads to salvation. And your salvation for us is love. You know the heart of every person here. You know what they're going through. You know those who are not living right. You know those who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. You know those who are just going through the motions And you know those, God, who are doing everything they can to live a life that pleases you. But the beauty of it is, you're no respecter to any of us, God. So we thank you for the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for this lesson today. And you've taught us that as we suffer, may the Spirit, may the fruit of the Spirit be evident in our lives. And may we not have to learn this lesson again. There will be many tests, many sufferings, many trials, but God, we don't want to see this test on our desk again. We want to pass it the first time. So whatever obedience you're trying to teach us in this suffering, may we learn it. And with the help of your Holy Spirit, may we pass it with flying colors. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can you say amen? Amen. Thank you so much for your patience this morning. Thank you for allowing us to worship our God as long as we wanted to because he's worthy of it all. Thank you for allowing me to give you the whole message.